Let's bring in someone who can help us with this discussion. He's covered the Raptors for a long time. He's a, a basketball authority in this country. It's Michael Grange, Raptors and NBA columnist for Sportsnet. Uh, before we dive in, how are you doing, Michael? Thanks for doing this. I'm, I'm good, guys. How are you doing? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, absolutely. We got you. Um, let's start with this. Uh, Alex and I have been tracking the Maasai stuff, and, and we'll get to that uh, in a moment. But I, I'm just interested in your perspective on what are realistic expectations for the Raptors this season, given everything that's going on around them, uh, the looks ahead to 2021, but the fact is that they, outside of losing a couple of veteran players, they still have a decent team, even though the East looks like it might be a little bit tougher than it was last year. What's a realistic expectations for the Raptors this year? I'd be a little surprised if they aren't a top four seed again, and, and I could see them uh, finishing you know, neck and neck with where they were last year. Um, I think this, you know, people kind of overlooked this was a 60-win team, and that 60-win team, and has been a 60-win team. This is like your, you know, they actually were on pace for 60 wins last year, but I think it was 58 the year before that, 59 uh, the year before that, and, and uh, maybe a 56 before that. So, I mean, this is this is the level that team the team has played at uh, in the Kyle Lowry era. Obviously, personnel's changed here and there, but you know the team last year was missing. Uh, you know, had pretty significant injury issues. Had all of its top top guys missed a minimum ten games. Norm Powell, who was a, you know an absolute stud every time he was on the floor, he missed twenty something games. Uh, Mark, Marcus Gall was barely available. So, you know, I, I think obviously losing Marcus Gall, losing Serge Ibaka, not ideal. But, you know, you look at this team, I still think there's room for upside. I don't see Kyle Lowry stepping back. I see Fred Van Vliet maybe being a little bit, maybe incrementally better. Uh, I think OG, OG Ananobi is, would be a guy I would expect to uh, significantly um, impact games on a much more regular basis. I see Norm Powell uh, picking up more or less where he left off last year. I think Pascal Siakam. Um, can be more consistent than it was last year. So, so I mean, you've lost a couple of important pieces, but I think there's still enough growth internally that I don't see the overall level slipping all that much. So, yeah, I think they'll be in that 54 to 58 win range, which should get you top four seed minimum. Just before you came on, Michael, we were chatting about your article earlier this week, um, and it was a, a great breakdown of sort of Masai's or sort of returned to Toronto, if you will, and, and the meeting that took place in Vail, Colorado, between he and, and then president of MLSC, Tim Laiwiki. I'm just wondering if you can talk about, you know, how big a decision this is for Masai, how big a impact it could have on the franchise itself, and, you know, specifically how Masai has sort of legitimized the franchise, not so much in Toronto, but probably around the NBA. Yeah, those are all um, kind of tied up with the same issue, Alex. And, uh, you know, the last one first, I, I do think that Masai Jerry has had a hand in uh, really raising the profile of the Raptors within the league, uh, among agents, uh, among players, among U.S. media. Um, I would say that people who are absolutely in the know understood that going back to Brian Colangelo, uh, who kind of gets a little bit of short shrift, I think, when these discussions come up. Uh, he had, he was the guy, the pivotal figure to me in the franchise in terms of really changing its perception, creating a first-class operation, 
and and all of that. So so I think you know Masai Ujiri hit the ground running when he did arrive. He accomplished a lot. He had was lucky to have Tim Laiwiki, the former uh, CEO of of MLSE, who was absolutely just a change agent and was willing to back uh, Mr. Ujiri's vision. Um, and they got a lot done, and they won. Um, you know, and is this a pivotal moment for the franchise? Yeah, it is. It's a, it, it, and, and it is a pivotal moment for Masai Ujiri, too. I mean, he's 50. He's pretty much at the peak of his profession. And I think, you know, sometimes it's useful to look outside of basketball for these kinds of analogies. You know, he, he's, you know, he's your uh, startup CEO who, who, you know, hit it big, <laughs> you know, got, got bought out, whatever it might be, it became, became a brand. Got all the you know momentum and money and and everything uh, anyone could expect for it out of a career, but he's still a relatively young man, and so you kind of go through that stage. Not that I'm intimately familiar with that, but but you kind of go through uh, you know a process of am I going to keep doing what I've been doing? I have the freedom and the, and, the, and options to do other things. What's important to me? What are my values? What do I want the prime of my career the next 10, 15 years to look like? And I think those are all things that Masai Ujiri's been been going over, um, and can, and I guess the biggest question for Raptors fans is can he achieve what he wants to achieve uh, whilst they're work, working and leading the Raptors? And um, you know that's that's kind of what I think that the, the there's two things that I think are going to really influence whether Masai Ujiri ends up uh, re-signing with the Raptors. You know, he's in the last year of his contract. One is, is there a really compelling, better uh, opportunity available to him either now or could it materialize in the next sort of six to 12 months that would absolutely be better than one of what is already one of the very, very best jobs in the NBA? Um, Number two is, does MLSE, can they... Uh, convince Masai Ujiri, not that it should take a lot of convincing, but can they convince him that whatever vision he does have um, for where he wants to take the franchise in the next five to 10 years, are they 100% on board with every element of that? And, and I think, you know, somewhere in those two uh, polls or between those two polls, we'll get an idea. We'll, we'll, we'll determine whether Masai Ujiri ends up uh, re-signing, or he doesn't. You mentioned his passions and the things that are important to him. Uh, You detailed it really well in your article that that was one of the things that may have made a difference in the approach Tim Laiwiki took in that, you know, MLSE could help him with his Giants in Africa initiative and other things that were outside of, you know, quote-unquote, his role as, as the sort of GM and president of the team. Uh, with that in mind, uh, going back to the incident that happened in Oakland uh, in Game Six of the the NBA Championship, I'm just wondering how much of how much do you think the events of the last 18 months outside of the NBA, but they've sort of obviously filtered in. Um, th- talking about Black Lives Matter, his own experience in Oakland, how much do you think those will impact his decision when he's looking at sort of what he could do and his impact on a broader sense? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I can't pretend to know exactly um, uh, when specifically the incident in Oakland. I mean, I think he was very, very well supported by MLSC through that whole process. And they had his back, um, you know, at every turn. 
And I think, you know, if, if he wants to be convinced of, uh, you know, that the people he works for really care for him as a person beyond somebody who can, you know, win titles for them. I think that that's, you know, the way they conducted themselves through that whole thing would be, would be one, one thing he could look to. Um, but, you know, I think being in the bubble and the, no, I won't say the noise, I guess the, uh, the, the, what Masai was able to do in terms of um, kind of using the platform the bubble created to, uh, you know, draw attention to the causes he cares about, to draw attention to the fact that the Raptors care about those causes. I think, you know, I think sometimes what happens north of the border through no fault of anybody's, it's easy to kind of miss a little bit, <laughs> you know, because uh, we don't have, we're not on ESPN uh, as Canadians, sure. you know, constantly. But, you know, with all the entire NBA all in one place, you know, when the Raptors rolled into uh, Orlando with a bus, you know, painted in Raptors colors with Black Lives Matter on it, that got attention. That got players' attention. Um, you know, and 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 his role as uh, the only uh, team president with Af- from Africa, the only black team president. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's the case. Um, unless something's changed. You know, I think that adds a lot of credibility when when you consider that one of the issues that the players were wanting uh, emphasized coming out of all this was was greater representation and management and the executive and even the ownership suites. So, you know, I think Masai is very very well positioned. Um, whichever direction he turns, you know, I think he's going to have he does have and will have probably more. Like he's not going to stay at MLC for less support for the, the causes he cares about. And right. uh, and I think if he if he does end up venturing out in whatever direction he chooses, it will be in a direction that complements all his passions. You know, not obviously his his. I don't think he's done with basketball yet, but I think you know going forward as he has already, basketball is going to be one uh, of a of a kind of wide range of portfolio of things that he wants to use the platform basketball gives him to, to further. Michael Grange joins us on air, Israel Fair and Alex Blair. Uh, from that basketball perspective, Michael, the Raptors, uh, I, I agree with you in terms of where they still stand in the East. They've still got a, a really nice team. We saw that uh, they've got that great defense that when, that, when they're playing well, they, they're, they, they can compete with anybody. And there's those questions about how do they get back to what they had with Kawhi Leonard. And, and obviously that's easier said than done, but there's a reason that 2021 and then the free agency class coming up keeps being brought up as, as kind of that next signpost for the Raptors and Masai Ujiri with even all the questions about his contract and where he might be. What's the overall organizational view on 2021 and, and that free agency class? Well, the, the overall organizational view of 2021 is Masai Ujiri's view, right? Like he's shaping the direction. And um, I think that that, you know, they've clearly prioritized um, 2021 and having cap flexibility uh, to either, you know, sign a major free agent or presumably acquire one via trade. If you're under the cap, you can trade for one. Um, and the evidence of that is, you know, they, you know, fly down to Mexico to meet Serge Ibaka um, and, 
you know, they make the effort to go all the way there and, and, and when push comes to shove, they kind of hold back on offering a second year to Ibaka. And, yeah. you know, they even go so far as to kind of hold back on a short-term deal that could potentially put them into, into the luxury tax, which would have, you know, some limiting uh, factors in the NT building in years to come. So, uh, you know, when you, when you consider you've got one year left guaranteed of Kyle Lowry and you held back a little bit on, um, you know, putting the, the best possible team you could that was available to you on the team on the floor this season, uh, I would say they better have a good plan for 2021 <laughs> other than cap space because, uh, you know, we, that's what I'll say this. I mean, we've seen it over and over and over again in the NBA where teams hollow out room, create cap space, all with the aim of transforming or elevating their franchise through free agency, and all they end up with either is, is either cap space or bad contracts. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of hasn't been played up very much, the risk that uh, the Raptors have taken by, you know, like it's like, like the guys they went and acquired in, in Alex Land and, and more prominently Aaron Baines, are not important players like they're good players but you know i think everyone would agree that if the raptors would be a better team right now if they had say aaron baines and serge Ibaka in on the in their on in their lineup and they don't um serge Ibaka absolutely wanted to come back and so the raptors you know made a decision that they you know they had a you know they had a number that they weren't going to go over and part of the reasoning through every contract they signed this offseason because they wanted flexibility in 2021. You mentioned Kyle Lowry uh, with the championship and sort of the legacy that he's established for himself with the Raptors. Finally, you know, the bickering back and forth on what, what he is to the franchise, what kind of player he is. That's all been put to rest, but he's got that one-year contract. He is, uh, you know, famously prickly at, at the best of times. It seems like the experience so far in Tampa, he hasn't done his media availability yet. Uh, there's always those kind of ebbs and flows with Kyle. And even now that there is not that arguing about you know, what it means for the team, wh- what is this, this next year mean for Kyle Lowry? I think the only thing Kyle has to worry about and he barely has to worry about is, um, you know, get through the year healthy and playing at the level he's played at, you know, for about seven, eight years now. Um, which is, you know, all-star, borderline all-NBA. I think in some seasons he should have been an all-NBA. And uh, if he does that, you know, he's kind of – if he, ha- he has already, but he would go a little, you know, another year of evidence towards he's kind of one of those, one of those veteran players that really cracks the code towards the end of their career and squeezing out extra years of high-level production. We saw Steve Nash do it all the way till his age 39 season. Uh, you're seeing LeBron James do it better than almost anyone's ever done it. Chris Paul is doing that. Uh, John Stockton yep. did it. Chauncey Billups, who's a close friend and mentor of Kyle Lowry's, he did it. And, you know, it doesn't happen all that often. But when a guy really kind of is able to um, figure out physically what he's, you know, what it takes to get the engine running and keep it running, and then you add in that IQ and you know, years and years of accumulated knowledge, um, they become incredibly valuable players. And, you know, presuming uh, all those things unfold the way they have so far for Lowry, 
you know, he's looking at he could end up with a multiple year deal next year on a, at a you know, either in Toronto or, you know, on a contending team somewhere else. And, uh, you know, it would continue one of the most unappreciated career arcs that we've seen in the NBA in the last 10 years. Sportsnet's Michael Green's joining us on air. Michael, before we get you out of here, you mentioned uh, former GM Brian Colangelo uh, a little earlier. Uh, curious to know, do you think he gets back into the game? Have you had any interactions with him since the uh, the fallout with um, sort of the burner Twitter account story <laughs> that led to his sort of resignation in, in Philadelphia? Yeah, I, uh, the last time I saw Brian was at Steve Nash's Hall of Fame induction, which was, uh, I believe, September of 2018. I got my dates right. Um, and, and, you know, I think I know he's sort of been a little bit of a he's had a few opportunities or he's tried to create a few opportunities around around ownership groups. I think he was interested in the Atlanta franchise. Um, that was. You know, if you, that might have been pre-burner, actually. But I think, you know, but the, I guess the short answer to your question is, you know, he's kept himself very, very low profile. I think uh, it would be a challenge for him to get back in the game. And it's a shame because he has a ton to offer. He, uh, you know, I think he's been unfairly lumped in with uh, unsuccessful executives. And meanwhile, his track record is pretty spectacular. And... Even, you know, as much as Masai Jury has done a great job here with the Raptors, that team that turned around, that 2013-14 team, that was all <laughs> – it was Brian Colangelo who made the trade for, for Kyle Lowry. And yep. every significant piece on that team was either drafted or, uh, or signed by, by Brian Colangelo and taking nothing. I mean, and Masai Jury would, would be the first to tell you. I mean, he – you know, his, he, uh, he benefited from what was here when he arrived. And uh, he's certainly done, you know, for a guy, he's one of those guys who inherited millions and turned it into billions, but he didn't start from nothing here in Toronto. And, and I think Brian Colangelo should get some, uh, it's easy to kind of dismiss him because of what happened in Philly, but he was a very significant player in the NBA. Well, this season should be another interesting one in Raptor land. It's been, it's been the case for a while now, and we look forward to, to following your coverage of the team as always, Michael. Thanks a lot for making the time today. Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care.